lives him. We want to know what inspires him. We want to know who Jesus is. We know he's God, but how does he feel as God deep down within his heart? We want to see just a glimpse of the heart of Jesus Christ. We want to see that. And, in order to see, and when we see his heart, this is the main idea of the sermon. It's, it's a bad idea to give the main idea at the start of the sermon because everybody just turn you off the rest of the sermon. But I'm going to give you the main idea. If we see his heart, then it will give us a heart like him. And we want that. So let's look at it today. I want us to all stand together and we'll read this passage. I want to show you the title of the sermon today is The Heart of Christ. I want us to see today, in these four verses, I want us to see with our eyes the heart of Jesus Christ. So let's look at these verses, starting in verse 35 and reading through verse 38, the heart of Jesus Christ. Verse 35 says, And when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... And this is one of the the greatest sentences in the entire Bible. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. That's a deep sentence. We'll spend a lot of time on that today. He was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together and then we'll look at, and this is good, look at the heart of Christ. Not just, we've spent two chapters looking at his works, his power. Today we get to go into the depths of his heart. Why did he do those miracles? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this glimpse that we get today. We all need this. Uh, We have an idea in our mind maybe of what uh, Jesus looks like and what he's capable of. But God, today, we need to look deeper than that and to see the heart of Christ. And we all need to understand today, me too, that when we see the heart of Christ, we are seeing the heart of God. And not only will we see that, God, but we will have that heart that he has. God, teach us through this passage today the heart of Christ. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever asked, and I'm, I'm sure you have, uh, I, I remember growing up as a kid, I used to, to sing a song, uh, every time my mom and dad would tell me no to something, and they, they would make me feel real bad, and I, you know, I was just real young, and, and they would tell me I couldn't do this, or I couldn't do that, I couldn't go here, or go there, I would go into my room, and I would start, they don't even know this, I'd go into my room, and I'd start singing an old 1800 spiritual song, I mean, I know you guys think, wow, that, that kid's weird, yeah, uh, but I... I <laughs> In the 1800s, they call it a spiritual that nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> you know, just pitiful old me. Mom and dad didn't buy me the, the, the video game I wanted. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Uh, <laughs> and, and what that song is, and I, I know that's funny, but the, the, what that song is asking is, or saying is, nobody cares. There's nobody out there that knows what I'm going through, and there's nobody out there that, that cares about my troubles. Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever looked at yourself and said, does anybody care about what I'm going through? Does anybody care about who I am? Does anybody care about me? And David, I found in Psalm 142, David asked that very same question. It's probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And here's what it says, verse 4. It's David. He says, I looked on my right hand. And the right hand would be the place of help. That somebody's there for you. You want somebody on your right hand. And David looked on his right hand and he beheld that there was no man that would know me. There was no refuge. And then he says at the end of the verse, and no man cared for my soul. I had no friends. I had no help. I had no one that cared for me. David's saying nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And there are millions of people in our world today that are asking that question, does anybody care about me? There may be people in this room today that are saying, does anybody know what I'm going through? And does anybody care? The suicide rate of teenagers over the last 10 years has tripled. There are children and teenagers that are screaming, does anybody care about me? There may be people in this pews right here. You put on a facade that says everything's okay, but right now you're saying, does anybody care about me? 
We live in a world of sadness. We live in a world of people just begging to know, does anybody care? And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that this passage, is what makes it so great, is this passage tells us that there is one who knows what you're going through. There's, in this passage, we'll see that there is one that not only knows what you're going through, but he cares very deeply about you. Not just about what you're going through, but he cares very deeply about you. This passage here today will scream at us. And it did to me this week as I, as I studied it. It's like it was written in, in bold letters with highlights, with circles all around it, screaming out to me, Jesus knows what you're going through and Jesus cares. And I don't want to just say that today. It's almost cliche to say that. Jesus cares about you. You can go in one ear and out the other. You're like, okay, I hear that all the time. I don't want to just say that. I want to show it. I want to prove to you here in this passage today that Jesus cares for you. That those kids out there who, again, suicide rate among teenagers has tripled in the last decade. I want those kids to know that Jesus cares for them. I want our teenagers to know that maybe nobody else cares, but Jesus cares for you. You need to know this. I need to know this. The next time you're down and you're out and you say, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know that Jesus knows and Jesus cares. This passage is going to scream that to us today. The world needs to know that Jesus cares. When nobody else will care and nobody else will know, there is one that cares. So I want to show you in this this passage today that we've already seen in Matthew 8 and 9, the power of Christ. And I've got to give a little bit of context here that Matthew went out of his way in these two chapters to show us that Jesus possesses all power and all authority over all things. That his power is unsurpassed, it's unmatched, it's unparalleled, that Jesus in his power can stand up to a storm and say stop and the storm stops. That's power. Jesus can look at a dead body and say rise And it will rise. That's power. Jesus can look at a leper that is covered in disease and say, and touch that leper and it be gone. Jesus has all authority and all power over all things. And two full chapters over and over and over highlighting and showcasing his power. And then in this passage here today, it transitions. Because Matthew doesn't just want us to see his power. Because oftentimes when we see people of power, we tend to cower down and to think that they are up there and we are down here and they don't really care about us. If there's someone, and you see that throughout these miracles, that when Jesus calms a storm, the disciples cower in fear. And when Jesus, every time he does a miracle, it's like they're amazed and backing away from Jesus. Who is this man who has all this power? He is up here and we are down here. He has all this authority and all this power. There's no way that someone like that can care about somebody like me. So Matthew here shows us, and I love this, he has all authority and all power. He is above all principalities. There's nobody that has more power than Jesus. And in return, there's nobody that cares about you more than Jesus. He's not a politician that has power in Washington, D.C. And only our politicians rarely come through our little area. They don't care. They might show up at voting time. And they'll ride through our town in a big black vehicle with blacked out windows, waving, maybe waving. Vote for me. They really, and I don't be mean here, they really don't care. They are way up here and we are down here. They have power and they don't care about us. But we have a Savior who has all power and all authority over all things. And He cares about us more than any of us could ever imagine. I love what this passage teaches us today as it gives us just a a small glimpse of His heart. In one sentence, it shows us how Jesus feels about us. Charles Spurgeon said, if you would sum up the whole character of Christ in relation to us, it would be in that one sentence... That he was moved with compassion. That's what he has. That's how he feels about us. The, the emotion that is most frequently used to describe Jesus is compassion. He loves us. He cares for us. Matthew wants us to see. God wants us to see the heart of Jesus and his compassion, his love, his care for each one of you. So let's look at it today. 
There's so many people that need to hear this. You may not need to hear this. You may be sitting there saying, I know he cares. But there's so many people that need to hear the care of Christ. And see the heart of Christ. So let's look at it. And I've just taken this passage, and as I usually do, I've broken it down into three sections so we can easily follow along and see where it's going. And I start with point number one in verse 35. I want to show you his heartfelt ministry. His heartfelt ministry. This is in verse 35, just a, a small snapshot of what his life was like. Of what he did while he was here. And look what it says. Verse 35. The heartfelt ministry. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Stop right there. This shows us in verse 35, where was he doing this? Where was he walking around at? Notice what it says. Let's not overlook. Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He is walking through Galilee. And he's not just walking through Galilee. He's going everywhere in Galilee. He is going everywhere. There, there in Galilee, there's over 200 small towns and villages and neighborhoods. Over 200. I think it's like 203 villages and towns and neighborhoods. It's like going into Pound, and there's South Fork, and there's Bold Camp, and there's Cub Hollow, and there's all, you know, all I could just keep on going. There's, there's Indian Creek. We just keep on going. That's the way it was in Galilee. And Jesus isn't just sticking to the main places or even the high places. He's hitting every nook and every cranny of Galilee, visiting all the people. He's going about everywhere, visiting them all. And when it says he went about, it's saying continuous action. Non-stop, town to town, place to place, person to person, in their streets, on their hillsides, at the, at the sea level, and at the highest level. He's in their houses. He's interacting. He's engaging. It's scribes, those people in the high courts, and the fishermen, those people on the low. It's, I love this, it's the adults. And it's the kids. It's the Gentiles. And it's the Jews. And you say, so what? Why are you telling us that he was doing this? Because it shows he cares. He's not staying in heaven. This could be a Christmas sermon. He's not up in heaven looking down saying, I care! (laughs) That would be okay. He come down. He left the riches of heaven and the worship of angels. And he come down. Exodus 3, at the burning bush, when Moses walks up to the bush, God says out of the bush, and the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows, and I have come down. He looked down and saw what we were going through He felt towards us, and he came down to be with us. To walk amongst us, on our level, among the people. He's in the dirt. He's with the poor. He is God with us, Emmanuel. In our nature, in our sorrows, in our temptations, and in our pains. He's walking where we walk. He's facing what we face. And I'll describe it to you, just in case you're not feeling it here. This is, in my mind, this is exactly the way that I show my kids I care for them. I could easily, at, at, at bedtime, love you guys from another room. I could easily send my kids, I could work all day and, and send them paychecks and, 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 and you know, just buy them things and, and take them on, you know, to make, let them go to trips and do all kinds of things for them. But what they want more than anything else is for dad to be there with them. They don't want daddy's paycheck. Sometimes they do. <laughs> They don't want daddy's toys. Get this. They don't want toys for Christmas. They do. But what they want more than toys is for daddy to be down on the floor with them playing with those toys. That's how you show you care. And Jesus wasn't up in heaven pouring down blessings and saying, there you go, here you go, here you go. He said of himself, here you go. I'll be down there with you. That's care. That's compassion. He showed up. That's what he did. And what did he do when he showed up? And this is, this is, I love this part right here. And I have to hurry through it. And I really don't want to. But in showing up, what did he do? Did he just show up and, and hang out with, with them, you know, in the house, hanging out, you know, having a good time? No, here's what he did. When, and this, this is a, a loving ministry. He, didn't, he wasn't just there with them. Look what he did. Went about all the cities and villages. And he did three things in those cities and villages. 
He taught them, he preached to them, and he healed them. It's a threefold ministry, and all three of these things are the most caring thing anybody can do for you. Number one, he taught them. I love that. He was in their synagogues, it says. He taught them in their synagogues. I mean, he was in their synagogues. They had two to three services a week, and he was there every time they opened their doors. And when, when, they, when he went there, he would open up the scriptures to them. He would open up the scriptures, and this is what he would do. He would read it, he would explain it, and he would apply it. Here's what it says, and here's what it means. He was in their synagogues week after week after week, opening up the Bible, reading it, teaching it, and explaining it. A good teacher is one of the greatest ways that God can show you he cares. The second thing that he was doing was preaching. And I love this. If he was teaching in the synagogues the scriptures, he was going outside the synagogues to preach. I love the word preach. It's probably one of my favorite Greek words that there is. I don't, I don't have to tell you what the word is, but I, I've got this word memorized, what it means to, to preach. And it's a word that means to, to herald or to announce. My favorite, my favorite way of explaining it would be to blow a trumpet. That's what a preacher does. He sounds the trumpet. He, he's not whispering. He's not, he's not uh, giving a talk. He's preaching. You, you know the difference between a teacher and a preacher? And it's, it's oftentimes the, the, the loudness of their voice. You can sit down and teach and explain and, and open it up, but you know when it time becomes preaching time that the preacher is going to lift up his voice and declare and proclaim and announce and herald the Word of God. That's what Jesus was doing. He was in the synagogues teaching the Scriptures, but when He walked outside the doors, He was Caruso. He was preaching the Bible. You like my Shakespearean? <laughs> I don't know why I do that. And what was he preaching? I like that. Jesus wasn't whispering. He wasn't getting out in front of them doing, huh? Huh? No, he was preaching. And what was he preaching? It says here in the, in the passage. He was in, in their synagogues. I think this, I think teaching and preaching is some of the most loving things you can do. He was preaching. What was he preaching? It, it, look with me. I mean, this is what Je- this is Jesus' life. He was teaching in their synagogues, and he was preaching about politics. No, wait, no, my Bible doesn't say that. Somebody's asked me, when are you going to talk about politics, preacher? Why don't you talk more about politics? Why don't you talk about social issues? And here's what I tell people. Here's my plan for preaching about politics. I know you guys are on the edge of your seat now. When's Josh going to preach about the Democrats and the Republicans and, and Donald Trump and all these things? When's he going to do it? Here's what I'm going to do. You ready for this? I'm going to open up the book of Matthew, and I'm going to start in Matthew 1.1, and I'm going to preach all the way through it, and every time it mentions Donald Trump, I'm going to preach about him. And then when I get done with Matthew, I may go to the book of Romans, and I'm going to start in Romans 1, verse 1. And I'm going to work all the way through Romans 16, and every time it talks about Republicans and Democrats, I'll preach on Republicans and Democrats. Okay? And here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do after that. I might even go into a small little uh, epistle, maybe a letter, maybe, maybe into Ephesians. I love Ephesians. And I'm going to go in there, and, and, and I'm going to start in Ephesians 1.1, and I'm going to work my way all through that letter. And every time it talks about social issues of our nation, every time it mentions America, I'll preach it. That's my plan. Because what was Jesus preaching? Look at the word there. He was preaching the gospel. (laughs) He had one message with laser beam focus on it. On the gospel. And what what was the gospel? He was telling people that the doors to the kingdom were now wide open and anyone who believed could enter in. The doors were not closed. They were not locked. They were not, they were not bolted together. The doors of the kingdom, the way of forgiveness, the way to escape hell and enter into heaven, the doors were wide open. And he went out into the streets and, and into the highways and the byways. And he was telling everybody, preaching the gospel, the doors are open. What else do you need to preach? That is the best news and the most loving news that anybody can ever tell you. Preaching the gospel. You've got to love the people you're preaching to. To give them the gospel. Okay, I've got I to move on. I could, I, could, I could camp there, but I won't. 
He went about all the cities and villages, number one, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was third, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There was an explosion of healing here. All manner of sickness, all manner of disease, all types. You name it, he was healing it. There was no specialty. I've said this before, that Jesus wasn't like one of those doctors that's just, a, just an eye doctor or just a heart doctor or just a blood doctor or just this doctor. Jesus was healing everything. You got an eye problem? Come to Jesus. You got an ear problem? Come to Jesus. You got a dead problem? Come to Jesus. Whatever your problem is, bring it to Jesus. And he was healing all manner of sickness and disease. There was nothing that they brought to Jesus. And he was like, I'm going to send you to a specialist. <laughs> he was the specialist. And he specialized in every sickness and every disease. He walked around touching people, healing people. And he didn't do it to show off. He did it because he cared. All of this, every bit of it, the teaching, the preaching, and the healing was because he cared. He wasn't doing it out of duty or routine or because he had to. Jesus was doing it because he cared. That's who Jesus was. And in doing those things, I want to show you. Watch what it says. In his teaching and preaching, Matthew 7, if you want to turn there with me. Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. When he got done teaching and preaching, and we spent two chapters doing teaching and preaching. We, well, three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 were all teaching and preaching. That, that, it gives us an example of his teaching and his preaching. And when he got done, it says in verse 28, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. Sayings being teachings and preachings. The people were astonished at what he said. For he spoke as one that had authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So they were astonished. They were amazed at what he said. Now when he got done healing, because you see this, and I just want to show it to you. Look what it says in Matthew 4. You, you guys with me? Uh, just, just, just follow with me. I didn't plan to do this, but I want to show you how this book's laid out. Matthew 4, verse 23, is a verse that says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. That sounds a lot like Matthew 9, right? So that it, it gives us a, a snapshot of his ministry, and the first thing he does is shows us. Matthew 5 is his teaching. Matthew 6 is his teaching. Matthew 7 is his teaching. And then Matthew 8 is his healing. And Matthew 9 is his healing. And then it gives us another snapshot of his ministry. And at the end of his healing, what did they say about him there? In Matthew 9, it says, And when the devil was cast out and the dumb spake, the multitudes marveled and said it was never seen in all of Israel. Again, they were amazed and they were marveled. They'd never seen or heard anything like what he'd said before. This was amazing to them, and the crowds flocked. He'd teach, crowds would flock. He'd preach, crowds would flock. He'd heal, crowds would flock. I mean, he just had multitudes upon multitudes upon thousands upon thousands of people that were following him. They showed up from everywhere. It says the news spread, his fame spread abroad. Verse 36, at the start it says, when he saw the, the multitudes, lines upon lines upon lines upon lines upon lines of people lining up to hear him and to, to be healed by him. And it says here, then he saw them all, and he cared for them all. He would reach out and he'd touch their eyes. He would reach out and he'd touch their skin. He would reach out and he'd touch their diseased, broken, smelly, unsanitary bodies. He would rub shoulders with them. He touched them, and he let us touch him. His entire ministry can be summed up with one word, compassion. He cared. He cared enough to teach, he cared enough to preach, and he cared enough to heal. You need to see this. You need to feel this. Jesus did all these things because he cares for us. So that's the heartfelt ministry of Jesus. Let me show you number two. The heartfelt moving of Jesus. This is the best word that I could find. And it's in the passage because it says when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. 
His heart was moved. You, you see that there? He saw them. It says, in, and I, so I want to show you the heartfelt moving of his heart. His, his, heart was, his heart was moved. Look what it says. When he saw the multitudes, he saw them. All these crowds of people that were flocking around him. He's in an elevated position. He's looking down at the crowds, the, the massive crowd. It said in, the, in that area, in Galilee, there's upwards of 3 million people at that time. So he's seeing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And he didn't see a mass of people. He was looking down on this crowd, a multitude of people, and he saw faces in the crowd. He didn't see a mass. He saw faces. He saw families. He saw fathers who were struggling to take care of their family. He saw kids that were sick. He saw mothers that were having a hard time. He looked out amongst the crowd and he saw Mankind. And what was his response? Again, point one was him teaching, preaching, and healing, and all these crowds showing up, and now he's looking out over these crowds. And his response to the crowds is an amazing statement. It said he was moved. That's emotion. I underline that word moved. He felt something. When was the last time you were moved? Just stop right here. When was the last time you were moved by something? And I don't mean a Hallmark movie. We can watch those things, and, and, and Steph does. Same story, <laughs> different characters. But you'll laugh and you'll cry. Your heart will be broken. Your heart will go out. All these different emotions come up. But when was the last time you were really moved by anything? I told one of the kids the other day that I, I, we, don't, we aren't moved like we used to be. I'm not. Sometimes I think our, our and this is a bad way of saying it, I think our feelers broken. The world has deadened us to our emotions. They want to suppress our emotions. But Jesus here, his emotions come out. And he does it throughout the Gospels. I think ten times in the first three Gospels it says that he was moved. That he had emotion. A lot of, a lot of people, a lot of preachers like to, to stress that, that emotion of him running people off at the money changers table. Like Jesus got mad. Yeah, one time. If that's the emotion you want to stress about Jesus when the other dozen times is him moved with compassion. There's preachers out there that love the hammer of Jesus, but they don't love the hand of Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion upon the crowd of, of people. And you say, what did he feel? What was the emotion that he felt? And it says here, he was moved with compassion on them. This word compassion, and I, I, it's the strongest word for care that you can come up with. You can't come up with a stronger word for care. Compassion is the strongest word in the Greek for caring for somebody. And watch what it means here. It means that he felt for them. And it's not just that he felt for them, that he had a feeling towards them, but he felt deep for them. We say, and I do this all the time, I'll say it to my wife, I love you with all of my heart. And I mean it. With a, we, you know, and, and when I say that, I, I don't mean this you know, muscle. That, that pumps blood throughout my body. It means that I love her with every fiber of my being and every ounce of who I am. That all parts of me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet loves her. We use the heart. They use something deeper. In that time, they wouldn't say, I love you with all of my heart. They would go deeper. Watch this. They would say, I love you. And I, I, I've never put this on a Valentine card. They would say, I love you with all my guts. Deeper. I love you with bowels of mercy. Deeper. The word here, compassion, actually is the word that we would use for spleen. I love you deep down in the depths of my being, where my intestines are. I love you in the deepest part of me. I love you. And you guys know what this means. You, well, the reason they said this is because when you love somebody so much and they are hurt or they are sick or they are dying, where do you hurt the most? You get knots in your 
stomach. You get knots deep down in, in, in where you are. When, you, when your kids get sick, and I've seen my kids sick, and they're sweating, and they got a sore throat, and there's a, a fever, and, and it's just so pitiful. I hurt down deep in the depths of my being for them. That's where I hurt. I love them so much that it hurts me deep down in who I am. Where there's a, uh, there's a, there's a term to describe it as a, a visceral groan comes out of you when you hurt that deep. That there's groans so deep that the words can't even be used for it. Do you understand? You say, why are you harping on this? This is how He loves you. This is how He cares for you. He don't use just words. Deep down, He, has, he is moved with compassion at the very depths of His being for you and me. That's an amazing statement. He's not a robot redeemer. He's not a stoic sovereign. He's not a distant deity. He is a compassionate Savior. And He cares deeply for us in a gut-wrenching, heart-being-ripped-out way. That's amazing to me. What a verse. That's how God feels about you. The way I feel about my kids. But in a much deeper way. You think you love your kids? It ain't nothing compared to the way God loves you. Deep down where it hurts, He loves us. He loves us with all of His intestines. Again, put that on your Valentine card in February. A poem for Stephanie. I, you know, I love you with my spleen. <laughs> Tears, you know. <laughs> and why did he feel that for them? Look what it says. He was moved with compassion on them because. Here's the reason why. And look, listen to the description. Because they were fainted, and they were scattered. And they had no shepherd. Three things. First of all, they were fainted, which means they were exhausted. Anybody in here exhausted? It means they were overwhelmed. Anybody in here overwhelmed? It means they were at the point of giving up. That they were distressed and troubled and vexed. Does that describe anybody you know? So he didn't look out and just see the faces. He saw into who they are. I was at FCS on Thursday morning at the middle school. And I was studying this passage. And I'd been to FCS at the high school. And I've been to the FCS at the middle school. And I've got up and I've taught. And I've go 20 minutes just teaching and preaching. And you sit there and it's just a nameless crowd. I don't know none of the kids. I'm just there to give them the gospel. But on Thursday morning when I went... And I looked out on the crowd of probably 30 little kids in middle school. My mind went to, I wonder what they're going through. And I went and sat down beside a kid who was eating a biscuit. I said, how are you doing? He looked at me like, you talking to me? <laughs> and he's, with a mouthful of biscuit, he said, I'm okay. He said, I don't get breakfast very often. And I look, teachers buy biscuits. I said, take as many biscuits as you want. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to go sit down beside another kid. See, a lot of times it's just nameless faces for us. But for Jesus, it was what they're going through and who they are. How often do we just overlook everybody? get so overwhelmed in our own lives that we never stop and say, I wonder. I do that in here. I'll preach, teach, get up here and preach for an hour and love every second of it. You may not, but I do. And I never stop to think, I wonder what the people in these pews have faced this week. See, I don't preach to a Facebook congregation. We preach to a real congregation with real problems. And Jesus looked amongst the multitude and he knew what every single one of them was going through. 
And he said, these people are exhausted. They don't need more rules and they don't need more rituals. Come unto me, all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Let me give you another one. We'll be here all day if I don't hurry. They were not only fainted, but they were scattered. They were all over the place. That word scattered means they, they were everywhere. They were, their lives were everywhere. They were thrown on the ground like seed and crushed under the feet of men. That's what that word means. They were lying helpless all over the place. And he's saying it's like they're being stomped on over and over and over. They're beat down. They're disappointed. They're, they're, they're distressed. They're vexed. They're, they're, and people are just stomping on them. He, and, he, and he had compassion for the people. And look at this next phrase. And they were a sheep having no shepherd. You say, what does that mean? They were without somebody who cared for them. A shepherd's job is to care for the sheep. A shepherd's job is to care for the sheep. And how do you care for the sheep? You protect them. You guide them. You down with them and, 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 and petting on them and taking care of them and meeting their needs and watching over them. And they had nobody that would do that for them. The shepherds that they had over them or the, the leaders that were, were over them didn't protect them. They were harming them. The leaders they had over them were not guiding them. They were deceiving them. The shepherds that they had were not feeding them. They were starving them. The shepherds that they had were not giving to them but taking away from them. They, were, they had nobody who cared, like David said, for their souls. These people that Jesus was looking at were saying, does nobody care for us? And Jesus was moved with compassion on them. Let me say this. These three descriptions of these people, fainted, scattered, and having nobody to care for them, is the broken condition of the world we live in. This is then and this is now. This describes all those on the outside, all those unbelievers in the world, it might even describe some people in this room today. You may have a smile on your face, but deep down, you're barely holding it all together. There's so many hurting people. And I've realized that most hurting people aren't wearing a sign saying, I'm hurting. How do you know they're hurting, Josh? Sometimes you have to go up and sit down beside them and say, how are you doing? There's people in here that maybe you're just overwhelmed with money. I mean, not that you have a lot, but that you have none. Too many bills, not enough money. Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's sin, maybe your family's falling apart. But you need to know today that Jesus looks upon you and he is moved with compassion. That he cares deeply about your current condition. Now, let me give you another one, and, I, and I've got to move on. But let me, let me just show you this. It's not just that he... So those three reasons of being uh, scattered and, and being fainted and having no shepherd. But look what he says at the beginning of verse 37. I found this fascinating. It says, then saith he unto his disciples, here's his last reason of why he's, he's, he's uh, compassionate or he's moved towards them. is because the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And I'll touch on that again, but that, that harvest is plenteous. You know what that means? You say, what, is that, what does that mean? He's talking about future judgment. He's not just moved towards them because of their current condition. He's also moved towards them because of their future judgment. Look, look what it says. I want to read to you. You say, what does that harvest? What does the, the word harvest there mean? And I don't want you to take my word for it. It means the, the coming judgment, the last day when Jesus comes to, to destroy and to damn. That's what it means. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Matthew 13, verse 30. I, I, I want you to see this. So you're not taking my word again for it. Verse 30, Matthew 13. says, let both grow together until the, you see this word? Until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them. And then gather the wheat to put into the barn. There's coming a judgment when Jesus Christ will separate the wheat from the tares. And one will be burned and one will be put in the barn. 
One will go to hell and one will go to heaven. And Jesus is looking out over this crowd and he's saying, there's a whole lot of people out there and there's a whole lot of people out there that's going to go to hell. That's how he moved in his heart. Remember, it's not just what they're going through right now. It's what they're going to face in the future. They're going to face judgment. I'll give you another one. You say, Josh, I need more. (laughs) I'm glad you want more because I have more. Revelation 14. You may not believe what I just said, but I want to show you. Revelation 14. Verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. I know a whole lot about farming. I know, I know what a sickle is. Actually, I know how to look that up on Google. Verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the, on the cloud, saying, Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Do you see that? Same language of, of Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is ripe. It's ready to be, to be judged. It's ready for you to take it and whoof, swap it away. Harvest is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud, verse 16, thrust his sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. The whoosh. I googled it. Whoosh. Of the sickle. Cutting down the tares. And Jesus looked over the crowd, back to Matthew 9. And what did he see? He saw that harvest. He saw Revelation 14 that he would in the future whoosh, judge them, whoosh, damn them, whoosh, send them to hell. And when he saw these people going to hell, their future judgment, the end of the age, the reaping, he had compassion on them, moved towards them. You see that he cares. I want you to see this. The way he sees people is the exact way we should see people. Their current condition of scattered and broken and without a shepherd. And their future judgment, they're on their way to hell. See this. This is so good. Their current condition is why Jesus went to heal them and to help them. Their future judgment is why Jesus taught them and preached to them. And it's the same thing that we must do. We see the current condition and we must care for them. We see their future judgment and we must herald out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's showing us here his heart so that we'll have the same heart. Let me show you the last point. You've seen the heartfelt ministry and the heartfelt moving I want to show you lastly the heartfelt mission. Verse 37 again. Then, then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He says here to his disciples, I want you to see this. He says to his disciples now, he's been looking over the crowd. He's been seeing the multitudes, and he, his heart has went out to the multitudes. That's what we've seen. We saw that in the, in the second point. That, that, that he's been preaching and teaching and healing this crowd. And doing all this great work amongst them. And he sees them. And he, he's moved towards them. But now he looks at his disciples who are all around him. And he says, hey, I want you guys. You guys that are behind me. I want you to look now. And I want you to see what I see. He says here, look. He wants them to see. That the harvest is plenteous. It's great. It's so much. Look at all this. And the laborers doing the work are so few. And what Jesus is saying to them is, look at the multitudes, there's no way that I can do this by myself here. I've been doing this alone. Work is too much. There's too much out there. And few, too few help. A lack of labor. There's a lot of work to be done and nobody's doing it. <laughs> there's plenty of lost people and very few to help. So he says, I want you guys to see. And I don't think he wants them to see with just their physical eyes. I think he wants them to see with their spiritual eyes. To see deeper like he did. To see beyond 
to look deep down into who they are and what they're facing and where they're going. That's what He wants them to see. Look at these people. See their current condition. See beyond the, the facade that they put on and see the broken heart and, and see the money issues and see, see the, the disease. See, see what they're going through, but also see where they're going to go when they die. Disciples, I want you to see. See it. See what I see. And I think He's saying the same thing to you and me today. See them like Jesus sees them. They aren't our enemies. That's not who we fight. It's our job to reach them. See them how He sees them. And not just to see. Why does He want us to see them? Watch this. Pay attention to me, please. He wants us to see the, what, what He sees in order that we might feel the way He feels. Look, look what He says. Verse 37 is see. Verse 38 is feel. And pray ye therefore. You see that? You say, how's that feel? Get this. We only pray for people we care for. Yep. You know, who I, you know who I pray for more than anybody else? I pray for you guys. And, mo, and, and as I'm looking around, yeah, everybody, everybody by name. I don't want to lie. But do you know who I pray for more than anybody else in this room? My wife, my kids, my parents, my siblings. My dog. <laughs> you guys are on the list. Making a point. I pray for who I care for. And he's telling us here, when you see what I see, then you will feel what I feel. And when you feel what Jesus feels, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And He is the Lord over the harvest. And you will pray, please, please, send somebody to them. Please, reach them. Please, help them. Please, heal them. Please, save them. Please, don't let them go to hell. Deep down in the, the visceral groans of your gut, you'll be saying, please, I feel for them. And the only thing I can do for them is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Deep down in every fiber of my being, I want them to be saved. You feel for them now. When was the last time you felt, we, me, felt like that towards lost people? That we looked out and said, oh. When was the last time, I'm going to get myself in trouble for this, that you looked at false religion and people underneath false teachers and said, oh, I hate it for them. God, send them somebody to teach them and to give them the gospel. When was the last time you looked at, we are terrible at this. We see homosexuality in our nation. And instead of it hurting us deep down, because they are scattered. And they are broken. And they are without a Savior. And yes, sin angers us. But the sinner gets compassion from us. And we hurt deep down in every fiber of my being. God, send them somebody. We hurt. We have compassion for the lost. And that's what he says they do. Pray. You notice he doesn't say go here. There's no program here. He doesn't say start a church. Get a youth group. Pray. Before you act, you must feel. Before you'll ever evangelize anybody. We don't evangelize. We don't reach out because we have to. We do it because we want to. You feel before you act. I'll tell you a story just to kind of cool it down a little bit. That's some heady stuff. That's not heady. That's, that's hard stuff. Sometimes, I, I'm, I'm going off, off notes here. 
I think sometimes in our churches, and in this one in, in, in particular, our heads, we've got, we got a disease where our heads are too big and our hearts are too small. I know too much and don't feel enough. That's me. Woe is me. That's stepping on my own toes. I read a story this week about Robert Murray McShane, one of Scotland's greatest preachers ever. He died at 29. Can you imagine that, being known as one of Scotland's greatest preachers and he only lived to 29? It said everywhere he stepped, Scotland shook. And after he died, there was a preacher that come to visit his church. And there was a, a man there that kept the grounds. And this preacher walked in and he said, I want to know about Robert Murray McShane. I want my ministry to be like Robert Murray McShane's. The guy who kept the grounds took him into the church, took him into the preacher's office, McShane's office. And he said, sit in that chair, look down at that book, and weep. I think I said, why? He said, because that's what McShane did. And then he took him out of his office, and he brought him into the pulpit, and he said, stand in that pulpit, look down at the book, and weep. I think I said, why? He said, that's what McShane did. And if you want to thunder through Scotland like McShane did, you better care like McShane did. That'll hit you right here. How many times have I sit in my office and said, ooh, that's a nugget. <laughs> ooh, that's theological. And there's not a single tear on my nose for the people sitting in the pews. And if we get this, we'll, we'll move to the last. If we see what he saw, and if we feel the way he felt, then we will do what he did. Watch this. Again, when you see, and that's how we must see people, and when you feel, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you say, please send laborers into the harvest, then you'll get an answer. When you pray that prayer, <laughs> send laborers into the harvest, the answer is always yes. Just be careful that you don't become the, your own answer. Because look what happens. He says pray. So you know who's praying? I've already said he's up on the mountain saying, look, look, look. And when you see these people, pray. And he's telling his disciples, he's looking to them, pray, pray, pray. And they're sitting there saying, okay, Jesus is telling me to pray. I'm going to pray. Please send laborers into the harvest. Please send laborers into the harvest. Please send laborers into the harvest. Matthew 10 verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power to go out and to reach them. They became the answer to their own prayers. They saw, this is so good, saw what he saw. And they felt what he felt. And in Matthew 10, they did what he did. The only way you'll truly, ever truly evangelize or reach out to lost people is if you see them how Jesus saw them, and you felt about them how Jesus felt about them, then you'll reach them how Jesus reached them. The problem is, we don't see them how he saw them, we don't feel for them how he felt for them, and we don't reach them like he reached them. It all starts with how you see them. I like that. He called unto him, verse 1, Twelve disciples, and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You see what he's doing? Guys, go out and preach. Go out and teach. Go out and heal. You guys are on a mission trip now to do what I've been doing. But you've got to see what I see and feel what I feel before you can ever do what I do. Never send out a person to evangelize that don't see them how Jesus saw them and feel for them how Jesus felt for them. I don't think you should ever <laughs> have a preacher up in the pulpit who doesn't see people the way Jesus sees people and feels for them the way Jesus felt for them because you'll never reach them the way he would reach them. The disciples became their own answer to their prayer. I wrote down here, the beans ain't going to pick themselves. <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty good. I giggled at myself when I saw it in my notes. I forgot I put it there. Again, so we can see like he saw and feel like he felt and act like he acted. And ultimately, this is how it ends. 
if you see how he saw and you feel how he felt and you do what he did, you will have the same heart as Christ. Which is what the whole sermon's about. Let me end with a story here. There was a man who fell in a pit. <laughs> it's a made-up story, but I like it. He was sinful. He was nasty. He was ugly. He fell in, and he couldn't get himself out. <laughs> and there were several people showed up to help him. Let me just name a few. You ready for this? There was a judgmental Pharisee that showed up and looked down in the pit, and he looked down at him and he said, only bad people fall into pits. And he walked off. There was a hellfire and brimstone preacher that showed up. It could be described as me sometimes. And he looked down in the pit and he said, you deserve that pit. And he walked off. There was two theologians that showed up. And they stood outside the pit and they argued about the best way to get the, the guy out of the pit. They wrote blogs about it. They posted YouTube videos about it. They wrote books about it. One of them said, I think that only God can get him out of the pit. And the other one said, I think he needs to get himself out of the pit. And they sit and argued about it until finally they walked off and the man's still in the pit. There was a Pentecostal showed up. <laughs> he looked at him and said, if you'll name it and claim it, you'll get out of the pit. That's funny. There was a Methodist show up. I sent Steph these this week on text message. <laughs> There's a Methodist show up, said, here's you some food and water, and walked off. Joel Osteen showed up. He said to the guy in the pit, I think you need to change the way you're thinking. You could make that your best pit now. <laughs> then a Baptist showed up, had a business meeting and voted on the best way to get the guy out of the pit. And then a new age millennial Christian showed up. I had about 15 of these. I had to cut them out. And this new age millennial Christian looked at the guys and said, let's not judge the guy in the pit. We all have our pits. And then Jesus shows up. And he was moved with compassion. And he reached down and got the guy out of the pit. Because he saw his condition it was moved towards him. And when you see and you feel, you automatically do something about it. And what did Jesus do about it? He loved so much that he went to the cross and he gave his life for the guy in the pit. And I am that guy in the pit. And Jesus had to reach way down to save an old, filthy, ugly, nasty sinner like me. All because he saw my condition. And he was moved with compassion towards me. And he went to a cross and he died for me. Does anybody care for Josh? You better believe somebody cares for Josh. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're in a pit, and if you're without Jesus, you are in a pit. You're in a pit of your own sin, and you're going to be in that pit and end up in hell. But I'll tell you, in that pit, there's one who cares deeply about you, more deeply than you could ever imagine. And his name's Jesus. And all you have to do is reach up a hand of faith and he will pull you out of that pit and set your feet upon a rock and tell you, you can tell the whole world who saved you. I'll say this, there's not only one Jesus who cares about you, but there is one standing up here that cares about your soul. If you're here today and you're lost, it's not a nameless, faceless crowd that I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to you. You can be forgiven of your sin. The doors of the kingdom is wide open. You can escape hell and you can enter into heaven today by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give you a thousand and one things to do because there's only one thing to do. 
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's to the lost. Now to the church. If you will see them how he sees them and you will feel for them how he felt for them, then right now during this altar call, whether it's at this altar or whether it's in your pew, you will pray, Lord, please send laborers into the harvest. And if you're sitting there today and you're unmoved by it, you ain't seen them how he saw them and you ain't feeling how he felt and you'll never reach them like he, he reached them. But if you see them how he saw them, then during this altar call for maybe a minute, a minute and a half, you'll be, Lord, please send laborers to my family, to my friends, to my loved ones, to this town, to this nation. Please send laborers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. What a glorious passage, showing us your heart and the heart that we should have. I pray that it's been true. I pray that my tone has been right and my timing has been well. I know I've went a little over. But God, I pray that you would use it today. Number one, for that person out there who's still in the pit of their own sin, that today they'd reach up in, by faith and ask for salvation. And God, I do pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. And if that means me, send me to my friends, to my family members, to my loved ones, to this community. Please, help us to see how you saw, to feel how you felt, and to do what you did. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music